This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Good morning and welcome to The Hash here on Coindesk TV. What a weekend. Oh my goodness. Things got pretty hairy there on Friday and it was not looking good. I don't know if it's even looking good now, but certainly things are happening. I'm Zach Seward. We got Wendy O, Jen Sinassi, and Will Foxley. We're going to try to break this down for you as best as possible. Wendy, lead us off. What do you got? You know, the story has changed so many times by the hour, by the minute. Silicon Valley Bank clients can fully access funds after FDIC creates new bridge bank. And of course, Bitcoin is pumping and melting faces. The complete crypto market cap is actually broke above $1 trillion again. Bitcoin is also currently trading at approximately $24,000, which is absolutely outstanding and just kind of shows how powerful Bitcoin is because I believe that all US stocks or US bank stocks were halted due to volatility or some of them. But anyways, let's kind of talk about what happened over the weekend. So Silicon Valley Bank collapsed last week following a $42 billion bank run. And the bank did a count number of crypto entities as clients, including Coindesk. Around 85% of depositors held money in accounts that were not FDIC insured, but FDIC came in and said, don't worry, we will save you. And basically, without FDIC insurance, it means that without federal action or purchase of the bank, those funds could be irretrievable. But FDIC came in and is saving everything. This is a big story. Who wants to take over next and talk about it? (laughs) I love the way you describe this, Wendy. FDIC came in and said, don't worry, we got you. But it was a really kind of tumultuous weekend. I remember on Friday talking to a lot of people in the industry because I was stressed out, right? I am one of the people who get paid in USDC. So I was like, oh my God, what's going to happen? And a lot of people were like, well, you know, we don't know what to do. There's no literature on like what can happen. This is something that, you know, people are not prepared for. And what that made me think about was, you know, when that person said there's no literature on this, I was like, well, if we think about the Bitcoin white paper, it was written out of something exactly like this, right? And so to see Bitcoin pumping today on Monday isn't surprising to me. I think we see all of these banks failing. A lot of people came out over the weekend and said, you know, this is not a crypto story. This is a larger economic story. And to see one bank after the other fail, granted two of them were very crypto friendly. It doesn't surprise me to see Bitcoin pumping. Zach? Yeah. I mean, this is a classic bank run, right? We had Silicon Valley Bank, which we talked about previously, right? They're major investors advise some of their portfolio companies to maybe seriously consider moving funds out because things were looking dicey, right? They were having to sell off assets to meet this influx of withdrawals. And in doing so, just given how quickly sort of the macroeconomic footing uh, has changed in the US, you know, they were selling things due to the interest rates where they were selling things that were far less than what they had thought. And before you know it, they were no longer able to continue. It was certainly an open question as to whether or not the FTSC would come in and backstop people above that $250,000 threshold, of which something like 90% of depositors at Silicon Valley Bank surpassed, right? This is a bank that serves startups, tech companies, Wendy, you mentioned it, Coindesk even, right? So the fact that FDIC came in and said, hey, above this $250,000 threshold, we're going to make sure that these depositors are whole, while wiping out investors in the bank itself in doing so was something that was very much up in the air. And, you know, Jen, you alluded to this, and we're going to talk about this in depth on the next story, but, you know, USDC by way of its relationship with Circle, which was holding reserve assets with Silicon Valley Bank, was also implicated. And that got really dicey over the weekend as well. We'll get to that in a bit. But yeah, this is pretty crazy. I mean, this potentially could impact 
a ton of banks in the US. We've seen President Joe Biden come out and make a statement. We've seen significant action being taken to give banks more funds as they really reckon with what has been wrought by the interest rate hikes put onto the market by Fed Chairman Jerome Powell. So really, really remarkable time. And you know that B word, bank run, is really on the lips of everyone. And people are wondering if there are subsequent banks that may succumb to what happened to Silicon Valley Bank. And then following that, even Signature Bank, which was another crypto-friendly bank. We can get to that in a bit as well. Wendy, I think I saw your hand up, but definitely want to get Will's take on this one. Really quick, I don't want to call it a crypto issue because it's not a crypto issue. The way the mainstream media is going to flip this is they're going to blame crypto because they want to create more FUD in the market because they want to have really predatory regulations roll out. So I don't think we should refer it to a crypto failure. It has nothing to do with the crypto failure. People that bank should have access to their money. That is a basic human, my, my opinion. Will? Yeah, it's a really weird topic to talk about, I think, for us specifically, because we're so focused on the crypto ecosystem. And this is really moving into TradFi land, right? So it's a little bit out of our expertise. But that being said, it's still a finance conversation. And two of these three banks that are now in receivership with FDIC or have voluntarily chosen to liquidate themselves did serve crypto people first and foremost. Signature and Silvergate were known for serving large crypto customers. And now they are basically being dissolved. So we got to talk about it no matter what. The, the thing here that I'm seeing is that it's a mismatch between assets and liabilities spurred on by the sudden increase in interest rates by the Federal Reserve. A lot of these banks purchased bonds that were had very long expirations far in the future using the deposits. And then those deposits were being pulled out very quickly and the banks were not able to offset those assets and liabilities. This gets really confusing very quickly. So I don't want to stay in that lane too much, which is definitely not my expertise. That being said, I think to your point, Wendy, this is just going to be painted as a crypto problem, right? And it's weird to see Bitcoin pumping right now. Like Jen, I actually take on the other side of your point. I think it's really weird to see Bitcoin pumping right now. People are seeing that and looking at like other crypto tokens are pumping as well with it. I think you can look at the altcoins and be like, oh, you're pumping because Bitcoin's pumping. But why is Bitcoin really pumping in this situation? I think the people on Twitter are saying, well, it's because Bitcoin is uncensorable money. It's an alternative to banking. And I, I don't know if I really like that explanation as much. I don't think people are going out necessarily purchasing it just because they're sort of getting that for the first time on Monday in the middle of this bank run. I think there's other things that force, including people just purchasing Bitcoin. And as we will talk about in a little bit, Binance buying a lot of Bitcoin this morning. But definitely uh, something that kept a lot of us up this weekend. And I think we're going to see some more stuff this week. Zach, up to you. Yeah, I, I will say, I think the crypto angle isn't to be undersold, right? You look at, I think the most instructive thing that's emerged of the last, what, 24 hours is the example of like First Republic Bank versus Signature Bank. First Republic Bank was able to get $70 billion in terms of backstop from the Fed and JP Morgan, while Signature Bank was overrun by local regulators, right? So I think there is sort of potentially some political subtext at play here, stemming back to the January announcement about like, you know, FDIC, OCC, and the Fed saying that banking crypto firms was especially risky and that you know those banks should proceed at their own caution. So it does seem interesting, I, th I think, especially with First Republic Bank versus Signature, which obviously Signature being the far more crypto-friendly bank there, the fact that they kind of went down their path while First Republic went down another, I think does sort of suggest that maybe there is something at play here in terms of how the government is viewing which banks should proceed and continue to operate and which ones should not. So I think that one is pretty interesting to look at specifically. And then there are these other crypto-friendly banks that are out there. There's a few left in the US. And I think people are really closely watching them today to see if they can withstand some of the strong headwinds that had you know, sunk you know, the three S's, right? Silvergate, Silicon Valley, and then Signature. So people are certainly watching to see if those other banks can hold strong. All right. Who gets the last word on this? Wendy, I mean, Bitcoin is pumping. Is this a head fake? Is this real? Like, what, 
What does that part mean? So people that I know in my community have no idea what's happening with the banks. Could care less. Everybody is so concerned with everything else. So I don't think that it's people that are brand new buying Bitcoin. It's just people that have already been in the industry that are buying Bitcoin, people from other countries, et cetera. And they're just trying to make money because, you know, the regulators are stepping in and they might be shutting the fun down soon. But Zach, talk to us a little bit about USDC. What happened? All right. I will take the next story and we will talk about USDC. So in this whole drama that was unfolding on Friday, well, it seems like ages ago, but it was indeed Friday. It became clear that Circle, which is the issuer of the USD stablecoin, kept a lot of its cash reserves in Silicon Valley Bank. Later announced that it was $3.3 billion. It was 8% of the $40 billion reserve. It was probably a bigger percentage of the cash reserve as opposed to the reserve held in US treasuries. So this was a significant concern in the crypto market specifically as to whether USDC could survive a run. Now, USDC lost its peg, slipped down to something as low as 87 cents, which obviously gives longtime crypto watchers PTSD to the Luna UST collapse. We hadn't seen any type of depegging event such as this since that time back in May, that very stressful, but altogether different situation involving a depeg stablecoin. And somehow USDC has regained its peg, right? The FDIC came in and said, okay, hey, we're going to step in and make sure that these accounts at Silicon Valley Bank are made whole. That instilled some confidence. But it was a crazy moment there on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, in which people were trading USDC in all sorts of wild ways, looking to arbitrage, looking to figure out if there was money to be made here in classic crypto fashion. People buying stable coins at a 10% discount, hoping to flip them on US government intervention come Monday. So it was. Pretty crazy to see USDC uh, go through this depegging event. For now, at least, it has regained its quote-unquote stability. We shall see if that holds. They disclosed a bit more detail about where they're keeping their cash reserves, and people are watching some of those institutions quite closely, as mentioned. Will, I'm going to toss this to you, man. USDC, that was a, it was pretty crazy to watch this happen. I don't know if you were, again, having flashbacks to UST, but I was certainly, I certainly was. Yeah, shout out to my haters that were saying I should not buy this trade, but I definitely did buy this trade and pocketed a little bit. Wow, that's so degen. Oh my! Did you did you use twenty five wow. times leverage or or thousand leverage or you good? Uh, I good? wish, wish, um, not that ballsy, but I did do it. I did jump into the water, and it was it worked out pretty fine. Okay, because I think if you look at USDC, you look at the partners, BNY Mellon, BlackRock, etc. You're looking at this and be like, okay, they're going to be okay because they've set up for everything to be okay in the event something does happen like this. Stable coins have a long history of depegging. Stable coins are supposed to be around the price of a dollar or whatever fiat it's pegged to. Doesn't necessarily always have to sit there. Yes, historically, a lot of times if it goes off that dollar line, it normally nukes to zero pretty quickly. But that's not all the time. And it really depends on what sort of stable coin you're talking about. So Zach, you mentioned USD. A lot of people looked at this and were like, oh, circle, it's going to, it's going to zero because USD did this about a year ago. Well, if you look at it, this is a very different type of stable coin, completely different sort of basis for how the stablecoin operates. I th- thought it was like more similar to what happened with Tether in 2018 and 2019 when the state of New York went after Tether and there was a depegging event around then. And then Tether was able to repeg basically when the market said, okay, you're, you're not going to zero. There's money in the bank. There just seems to be like a problem right now due to regulations. If it's the UST or an algorithmic stablecoin, a lot of people don't trust those things because those things have historically always gone to zero. But in the case of reserve backed stable coin like USDC, there wasn't like a high chance in my mind that this thing was going to zero, which is why I put money on the line for it. 
and it worked out pretty much okay. That being said, they're not out of the woods yet. We're still seeing some things with Signature this morning. And there's a lot of worries right now in the bond market. So there could be more things to come down the pipe. Wendy, up to you. I actually converted majority of my USDC to Tether over the weekend right before the crazy DPEG happened because it was my payroll account. And if something did happen to USDC, I wouldn't be able to pay my team. So it was a little bit worrisome. Gas fees were a bit high, but I felt good doing it. And I probably will start to swap some back to um, USDC when I feel a little bit more comfortable. I totally get and I agree with you about the partners that USDC that Circle has, BNY Mellon, BlackRock, etc. But at the same time, how many crypto founders have we heard on Twitter say, funds are safe, everything's okay, don't worry. And then a couple days later, chapter 11s, they go down, you lost your funds. Yeah, Wendy, I was going to say the same thing. I think that what happened over the weekend pointed to this like erosion of trust, right? We had Circle coming out being very forthcoming with their communication, saying we put in that wire transfer for the $3.3 billion before the bank was taken over by the FDIC. We don't know what's going to happen with those funds. We are going to make customers whole again. But we've heard that time and time and time again. And the fact, Will, you're so right to explain that this is a totally different product than UST. But I think people have so much PTSD. They don't know what's going to happen next. They maybe don't know if Circle is exposed to other banks that are maybe going to face the same reality in the coming days. And so like, I just really felt for people who didn't know what to do on the weekend and were feeling very anxious about what the right next step was. Because this industry has proven over the last year to be so, so unpredictable. And it's been unpredictable since its inception, but it's just been a really, really wild ride. I did the most unsafe thing. So Will and Wendy, Wendy, you went to USDT. Will, you made a bet on USDC repegging. I dumped all my USDC into Bitcoin Ether. And so I'm so happy this morning, but that was like not probably the most risky move to do. (laughs) You're CZ Jr. I think that Binance did the same thing. I think that they converted everything into Bitcoin or Ethereum or something like that. Don't quote me on it. I don't have the story in front of me, but Jen is a true Chad at. Right? (laughs) Jen is up big right now. That's for sure. I mean, I think there's been a lot of commentary about, you know, technological change and the pace of social media really accelerating these bank runs, right? And so we saw a bank run on Silicon Valley Bank. And then in a weird way, we watched a bank run on a stable coin, right? Where it depegs, people are selling in mass, the price is going down, they're trying to get anything they can get just in case it ultimately does spiral to zero. It didn't in this case, the dynamics were different, as Will alluded to, relative to the USD crisis. But yeah, was a wild one to watch. And certainly, I don't know if it's fully out of the woods yet. We'll see what happens in these coming days should other banks suffer similar fates. Calling all early stage crypto, blockchain and Web3 startups, teams and builders. Apply to Coindesk PitchFest, powered by Google Cloud, and pitch live on stage at Consensus in Austin this April. Winners will receive two VIP Piranha Passes to Consensus 2024, featured coverage on Coindesk, and an invitation to present at Coindesk's Private Investor Summit, Ideas 2023. Learn more and apply at consensus.coindesk.com slash pitchfest. Binance this morning, CZ, the CEO of Binance, tweeted out that they are buying a whole lot of Bitcoin and Ether using BUSD. They sold about $1 billion of USD for Bitcoin and Ether this morning, spending about $2 on the total transaction. And as CZ pointed out in the tweet, they did it all before the banks were even awake on Monday morning, showing the power 
of decentralized money all over the globe. Wendy, I want to throw this one up to you. I think it's a great story to show like the power of being able to move money very quickly over in these open neutral networks. At the same time, it's a little bit of a shill, a tasteful shill, but a little bit of a shill. I absolutely love this story. And the reason why is when you're going through Twitter and you're reading all the threads from multiple different small businesses, entrepreneurs that had funds at some of those banks, they says, we tried to wire X amount, but this got stopped. And a lot of people were left in the dark over the weekend because we all know that wires take time. I believe it's five to seven days or three to five days. So a lot of people's funds got stuck. And this also happened with Circle. I believe they were able to wire out almost 40 billion, but 3.3 billion got stuck. So the fact that crypto is able to settle instantly just shows the valid use case that we have and shows the power of Bitcoin and crypto and why exactly we're in this industry. And I think that people are going to start taking notice, especially after the catastrophic actions that happened over the weekend and how many people were scared. Jen? Yeah, I guess. So I have a question, but I'll leave that to the end of my take here. CZ was really all over this, as everyone was over the weekend. He tweeted that banks are a risk to fiat-backed stable coins and also gave Doquan a little shout out saying he had the right idea, but failed miserably <laughs> on execution. I, I don't know how I feel about that, given the information that's come out about Doquan. But I guess my question for you, Wendy, is how should we be looking at this from a market perspective? These coins are obviously pumping because CZ pumped a billion dollars into the markets, right? How should just like the everyday person be looking at this? So what I tell my audience all the time is I say, sit down, get your trading or investing journal, write the different pros and the cons of what action you want to take. You need to have an entry, you need to have an exit, you need to use disposable income, and you need to have a bullish and a bearish case for each scenario. And then you need to understand when you need to act on that bullish or bearish scenario. I personally do not think that the market is going to fully recover. A lot of people are excited. There's a lot of money dumped in the market. But at the same time, we are in a very scary, uncertain kind of area mm -hmm. in the United States. Like, yes, the FDIC is going to come out and help some of these distressed banks. But at the same time, how are we going to be able to do that? Are we going to print more money or things going to get bad with the economy again? There's a lot of uncertainties out there. So I know it's exciting. People are making money. But at the same time, please make sure that you have trading or investing plan for a bearish scenario as well, just in case. Jen, I like the mention of you know the dream that will never die, the decentralized stablecoin, because stablecoins are absolutely critical, right? We heard you know Wendy is paying her team in stablecoins, right? That she doesn't necessarily want that in a, in a native crypto asset, right? She wants some stability to make that work for that payments use case, right? They're critical to the ecosystem for trading and for functionality, but they're also critically dependent on these huge banks, right? There's risks to these banks that exist outside of the purview of crypto, right? So. Whether it's Doquan or whether it's Arthur Hayes in a recent blog post saying, hey, we need to make a Bitcoin-backed stablecoin that exists parallel to these systems rather than being deeply intertwined, which is what we're seeing now with Circle and which is what we might see with other institutions down the road, is that that remains to be like sort of the holy grail, right? How do you make this stuff work? How do you get these stablecoins that have this great functionality in the market but can exist in parallel rather than entirely dependent on the traditional banking system. And I think this is going to be, you know, part of that aha moment where people are like, okay, like, yeah, Do Kwan may have been, you know, an alleged crook, right? But the dream makes sense. You know, the dream makes sense that you need to be able to build the system insulated from the whims of the central bank, insulated from the whims of the banking regulators, insulated from the winds of these macroeconomic headwinds that are putting all these regional banks in dire straits, potentially, I think that is something that might animate a lot of building in the space going forward as crypto seeks to, you know, decentralize all the things 
in response to regulatory crackdown in the US. And now this, I think, is extremely clarifying in terms of why this piece of infrastructure needs to be built, whether that's by Arthur Hayes or someone else, who knows. Will, I don't know. What are your last thoughts on this one? I definitely agree with you. I'm glad you brought that point up. Decentralized stable coins are critical. Bring crypto into cash or cash into crypto itself continues to be the hardest problem with crypto, whether you are in a developing country or the United States or in Japan, wherever you are, it's really hard to move fiat into crypto or vice versa. And mainly that's a regulatory issue. And then secondarily, it's an economics issue where these systems just don't seem to work very well together. And I think with we're seeing with Signet, Signature Networks, banking presence, and then Silvergate and its presence, the collapse of those two banks, really just zeroing in on what the problem is with crypto and fiat right now. And we're going to have to build alternatives, right? Those two systems from Signature and Silvergate were built over the last few years. They don't exist anymore for uh, all intents and purposes. They are gone. So we're going to have to build new ones. Hopefully, it's some sort of decentralized stablecoin. But Jen, we'll throw it over to you for our last story. All right. So the IMF wants to get into the action. They warned the G20 nations that widespread proliferation of crypto assets could lead to banks losing deposits and curtail lending. The report called the macro financial implications of crypto assets was given to the G20 in February, but made public today again after the collapse of Signature Bank, SVB and Silvergate. Will, I'm going to toss this one off to you. What do you make of the IMF making this report public today? It feels unrelated, but they're really trying to get in there and say like, I told you so, but really, did they tell us so? I don't know how I think about this. I need to go read with the report. So we have a story up on coindesk.com. It's a summary of what they've issued. Yes, the timing is immaculate, can you say? It comes right after this whole banking debacle in the United States with a bunch of banks that had a lot of crypto customers. So maybe it was timed. But if you work in media, you work in content, that's also when you want to publish something. So maybe they just like snuck it out the door really quickly, even though they've been working on this for a while. That could be the case. That being said, this whole stuff with the IMF and all these banking partners around the world, we've seen this for quite a while, right? So this is not a divergence from any sort of different discourse that they've had over the last few years. Most notably, they've really punched down on El Salvador saying that they should not be purchasing Bitcoin and that they should be focusing on their internal state of affairs with their loan books to the IMF. That's the story that really came up to me when I was looking through this recent headline. It's just a continuation of the past narrative. People in IMF and the traditional system, especially government regulators, they don't like crypto. It's too volatile for them and they don't want that. That being said, if you're looking at the underlying facts, it does seem like this is more of a traditional banking issue with the monetary policy of the United States as opposed to just crypto. Crypto definitely had a part to play in this. I don't think that Silvergate would be in the position it's in if FTX had not exploded. But we do have a larger problem on our hands, given all the other banking stocks are going under, given that SVB is also going under. There's a lot of problems out there right now. And IMF is just you know, taking its moment in the sunshine to say, hey, we told you so. Wendy, up to you. They got her, folks. They got her. They, they, yeah, they silenced Wendy. Wendy. They silenced Wendy. <laughs> they, you guys silenced me on purpose. That's because I'm wearing the tinfoil crown. I knew it. No, honestly, like I get the concern that crypto is a little bit risky, but... In America, you have to have a bank account to do anything. You have you need a bank account to essentially pay your employees, to have a mortgage, to be able to rent a place, to pay your bills, all of these things. So the banking industry just can't dictate who gets to open a bank account and who doesn't. Like I think that that's illegal. It's kind of part of redlining, but not. So again, we shouldn't. People should not be censored. People should be able to have access to their money and do as they please with their money, just as long as they're not doing anything super super bad. 
But at the same time, like crypto is volatile, but so are tech startups, so are different startups, so is capitalism, so is entrepreneurism, so is pretty much doing anything with your money. So I'm not understanding what the issue is. I know it's all about control and I know they want to issue in a CBDC. And that's all I have to say about that before I get silenced again and my crown is falling off. (laughs) All right, that's it. Also volatile, U.S. Treasuries. How crazy is that? Anyway, that's it for the show today. I'm Zach. We got Will. We got Wendy. We got Jen. We're the hash. We'll be back tomorrow. Thanks so much. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcast at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening.